I'm not the house of cards that falls down easily Ooh, I'm strong enough to handle what you throw at me Welcome to Mental Health News Radio. I'm your host, Kristen Sunanta-Walker. Just what are we going to discuss? The intimacy that is mental health. Let's continue to make it as comfortable as discussing brain health or heart health. This show has been on the air for several years and we have amazing co-hosts. And then we created a network of podcasters on mentalhealthnewsradionetwork.com, a place where every possible facet of mental well-being can be talked about openly. My show, after several hundred interviews, the format is this. Intimate, deep, funny, touching, sometimes uncomfortable, but always vulnerable conversations with interesting people. The goal is to have you, our listening family, many of you who have become my good friends, feel as though you are listening in on private conversations. Thank you for tuning in and becoming part of this amazing journey with me and now with our network of podcasters. Just knowing this podcast might be helping any of you realize you are not alone on this journey called being a human being makes doing this podcast worth every second. Hey everyone, this is Kristen Sinanta Walker, host of Mental Health News Radio, and we're back with a guest that's been on in the past, just recently. Uh, You've heard some of her story. We're going to get into um, more things today. Her name is Maddie Caballo. Maddie, thank you so much for coming back on the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm, I'm looking forward to our conversation today. Yeah, yeah. So today I wanted to, obviously, we're going to talk about more things to do with horses and how that helps you, especially as someone who's been through trauma. But I wanted to get into topics where when you're out in the world and you're working at your regular job or you're doing a talk about mental health, because that's part of what you what you do is go out and do speaking engagements or when you're working with people with your horses and you have things that come up and trigger you. I want to get into that. But before we do, can you give our listeners maybe new ones that didn't hear your show previously just a little bit about your background? Sure. Um, So the first 20 years of my life, I was uh, born into a family who practiced uh, ritual abuse. And so I had very limited exposure to what a a normal family environment would be like. Um, And most of what I did have was just from what I heard from other children at school and things like that. And so um, at 20, I was able to leave that environment, but I really didn't have the skills to be able to know how to, to survive or take care of myself outside of an abusive environment. And so I've been in very intensive therapy since then to learn uh, new coping skills, um, skills that serve me better in a world that's not where I'm in danger uh, 24-7. Right. And since then, I started um, realizing that you know, I had a lot of great what I call heroes in my journey along the way, but I also had a lot of people I realized that didn't know how to interact with me. And so I go out and speak now um, and to professionals to help them understand, you know, ways to be a little bit uh, more trauma sensitive and trauma focused whenever they're working with somebody to, to make it so that it's not a harmful experience. Yeah, that's interesting to me. And I think 
Maybe I, I had two shows. I had yours and I had um, a show that I did with Dr. Janice Webb and your two shows really hit me like in, in my gut and um, were, were not triggering, but just like, oh, I really understand this. And so listeners, I want you to understand. I'm sure you know this already, but sometimes when I'm doing shows, I'm going through my own stuff, especially if it's someone that has similar wounds. And um, it takes, sometimes it feels like it takes a an act of I don't know what to actually get through a show and then deal with what comes up later out of it. So we're going to touch a little bit on that today. But um, your story, Maddie, and what you went through, I don't know why I wasn't raised in a, you know, the same way that you were, but there was danger around all the time there there weren't safe adults so that's the part that and there was nobody really to go to um so that's the part that hit me have you read anything about and talked about uh, like narcissistic abuse um i haven't had a lot of like i haven't read a lot about that i i do know a little bit about what it's about but okay gotcha it's very similar it's it's People that are using things like mind control to really um, and and financial abuse and just any possible way of abuse to control your actions, your world. Uh, it's very cult like in its in its experience. That's probably why what you were talking about really hit me, uh, because that's what growing up for me was like as well. So when you talk about not really knowing how to take care of yourself. Can you go into more detail about what that means? Um, sure. Like, so when I was raised, it was like my my whole self was just involved in uh, making sure I did exactly, I call them the people, um, but it was a group of individuals, adults who um, were involved that they told me exactly what, what to do at all times and uh, what I could and couldn't do and what I could and couldn't say. And... I didn't really ever think about what my needs were or I didn't even venture to really express to have needs or wants because it wasn't allowed. And so my whole thought process was involved around but what they wanted from me and how to stay safe and how to, you know, keep, I felt like, and, you know, through therapy, I've kind of learned to think differently about this, but I, you know, thought that if I could figure out exactly what they wanted me to do, it would keep me safer. So if I got hurt, I blamed myself, not them, because I did something wrong or I didn't pick up on the cues that that would make them angry or I should have done it right. And so, you know, whenever you're in a world that's not surrounded by people who are controlling you in that way or exercising that kind of mind control, I guess you you said narcissism, but <laughs> I, I use the word mind control for it. Um, it leaves you kind of, when you try and interact with people that aren't like that, they don't understand why it is that you're looking to them for the answers all the time. Right. And so, the, you know, and I was 20 years old, so it wasn't like I was a young child. So, but I was a young child still so mentally and within my body. I just hadn't grown up to, you know, match biologically where I was. Right. So do you, did you, do you remember having feelings like I can't win no matter what I do? Yeah, I think, you know, survival and staying alive. I mean, I had those thoughts, but I didn't, 
stay with them too long because I was like, if I figure, if I just can be good enough, if I just can figure it out, um, it kept me kind of feeling like I could do something to um, save myself, to to not be hurt as much. Um, do you think that that was a mechanism I, for you feeling, having a sense of hope? Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, in, in a odd way, it didn't feel necessarily like hope right then, but it was. Right. I mean, I had, you know, I would kind of take what I was learning because I did go to school and so I would take things I heard and seen in other people. I was very observant. And so I would try and put that together with, you know, and so when I, I spent a lot of hours alone, um, kind of uh, so locked up inside a small room and um, during those times, like I would kind of fantasize about things I had heard and seen that other kids were doing or showing me. <laughs> and right. so it, in that way, I would uh, pull hope, I guess, into it that one day. So, for example, like uh, we're, my parents and the people around me, um, for the most part, had not been like college grads or anything. I really didn't know what that was. But when right. I got out, all I was focused on was going to college. And I had no reason to be focused on that because I barely knew what that was all about. But I just knew it was different than them. Mm. <laughs> so, so I would hold hope in those kinds of ways. Right. Yeah, that's interesting. And that piece where you are out and you're, you know, you got, you freed yourself from this environment. How did you, how long, you know, did it take you to really get through learning what actual self-care is and to, because I know with my own self-care, I can get to a certain level of doing it. And then I, um, in the past, I would sabotage it because I wasn't used to things feeling safe and okay and peaceful and comfortable. I almost, well, I was addicted a bit to that adrenaline rush of chaos. And um, that's not self-care. So when you didn't watch that happening as a child, how to practice self-care, you really have no idea what that means. So someone could say, well, you just need to meditate and do yoga. And you look at them and they're like, they're speaking Chinese. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, I wasn't really introduced. I would say like, um, it's just been in the last few years. So I would say in the last three or four years, I've really learned uh, about self-care and how to practice that. Before that, it was like a lot of words. that didn't, It was like a, a foreign language to me. All these things that were people were suggesting to me, I just couldn't figure out how to incorporate into my daily life. My daily life was still kind of on that survival um, right. pattern. And I, I think I mentioned it before when we talked about it, like, you know, I, I kind of lived my life even as an adult, even away from the people on this, like these dates that they had made significant. Mm -hmm. And they were significant because they were dates I feared. But even as an adult outside of that situation, my body relived that trauma. And so, um, even though I had these other skills, I didn't know how to incorporate it with that. Right. But then after I started like working with the horses and I started like seeing outside of myself, um, what it looked like. Um, so I, I think a lot of times you see cartoons and things like that about horses and how right. a plastic bag will fly by and they'll go like scrambling. Well, I could relate to that cause I could feel that that's what I feel like on the inside. So I was like, wow, like that's what it looks like on the outside. <laughs> you know what I, I mean? See. Like, okay. And it, 
became a visual that I could point to and say, that's what I feel like inside. <laughs> right. And so when I could start working on that stuff, I could start and I started, you know, the, really the best thing that worked for me is that I I worked for, so I've been in therapy for 15 consecutive years, going two to three times a week. Um, and um, that's a huge act of self-care right there. It is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, a huge financial commitment, too. I think we forget that sometimes for yeah. uh, people who are, I mean, I'm fortunate in that sense that I was able to provide that kind of level of care for myself. But um, when I think of self-care, I think of really kind of getting myself where I'm not living on that schedule anymore, where I'm learning to connect with other things without fearing that I'm going to hurt it. You know, and I think we we forget how simplistic we have to get with somebody who's been through severe trauma. That's exactly true. That's the piece that I think people forget about is that those things are significant. It may just be a date to someone else, but uh, so many people I've talked to, let's say they were controlled financially. Every time a date came up where money was going to be withheld, money to eat with, you know, to have your basic living needs met. And that money was, you didn't know whether it was going to be given to you or not because someone was controlling your access to it um, every, you know, about two weeks before that date comes up when they, are we going to get it? Are we not going to get it? And so on, they sort of go downhill and getting to the place where that be, when they get free of that environment where those dates come and go and they don't eat, it doesn't even register is such a huge, it's like you've walked a thousand miles, but to someone else, it doesn't seem like that big of a deal. Does that make sense? It does. Yeah. I know just in the last couple of years, I've gotten to the point where a few dates can come and go and I don't like relive it in my body and I barely give it any thought. And like when the date passes, I realize it. I'm so excited. Like I, I'm really, <laughs> I feel this really <laughs> proud sense of myself that that I was able to go, you know, let that date pass without having a huge reaction to it. Right. How has that been for you, you know, working outside of the mental health field, like just with the general public and um, having all of this that's happened to you, like counseling or working with horses or whatever it is, you're just out with the general public, but you're carrying around all this stuff inside of you. How you learned how to be okay out there in the world, you know, with, with everything that had happened to you? So, you know, like it is, it's been very difficult uh, to adjust to living in the world that doesn't understand and uh, trauma very, very well, Mm -hmm. or addictions or, you know, lots of different mental health issues. And so, um, for me, like, you know, I kind of benefited from the fact that secrecy was such a big part of how I grew up that I had learned to kind of conceal that within myself and parts of myself. So that, that helped kind of keep it on the, like where I could function. Mm. And also the part of, I felt like my job and my career. So I was like always very, very focused on that because I felt like if, I couldn't be good enough at work. So some of the same stuff that happened in my trauma, like I, I carried over into work and it, it definitely isn't that healthy, 
but it did help me like really climb the ladder as far as being successful in my career. But I felt like, like if I didn't do good enough, like I was going to get fired. So I pretty much have always lived my career life as well. Kind of thinking, um, you know, if I'm, if I don't do well enough on this project, I'm going to get fired. Then I'm going to be homeless and I'm not going to be able to provide for myself, provide for my daughters. So it's not a healthy way of living, but it helped me be very successful. So outwardly, um, I think most people would be very surprised like to know what my story is because I had such a, a need for, it was almost a survival need to, to be in the world because I, in my mind, the only choice I had was to go back to the cult. Right. And um, that was terrifying to me. So I needed to disprove to the, you know, that in the world that I, I could do all of this to stay safe so that I didn't have to go back to that. And, um, you know, there's there's lots of um, frustrations for me, I guess, as I run into other people. And I, I don't judge other people's situations at all because I, I honestly think you that so everybody's yeah. um, trauma for them is very significant. And trauma in and of itself, regardless of how long it happened to somebody or um you know, it's there's no no scale of this is worse than that because uh, it all uh, invokes emotions within us and makes it difficult for us to cope. And so all of those things um, are relatable amongst individuals. But I think, you know, it, it has been, uh, I work with a lot of students um, all of the time. And when I see somebody who has things that are um, opportunities available to them that weren't made available to me, it does, it's, it does hurt and I feel myself get frustrated and I feel myself like really want to just tell them like, you know, what are you thinking? Like you have everything right here being handed to you. Like everybody's offering to help you and um, you're just turning it away. Right. And I think it, inside of me, it's kind of hurts a little bit sometimes because I wanted that same, same amount of resources available and they weren't there. So it kind of reminds me of what I didn't have. Mm. That makes sense. That makes sense. I remember sometimes when I was at the beginning of a of a new venture that I felt confident enough to go out and take like, let's say, you know, go to college. And I was older when I was there than all the students. And I didn't, you know, go on to get my degree. But just even showing up was a big deal for me. And feeling really grateful that, oh, my gosh, I can just stand here and be in line and wait for you know, my book or to register or whatever, and kind of hearing, you know, was typical behavior of the freshman college student, <laughs> typical right. conversation. And because I had been in therapy for so long, I had a hard time not kind of rolling my eyes at how um, shallow it seemed in compared to comparison to what I had experienced in the world that I found um, challenging. And <laughs> which I yes, think is very, very, very human. Yeah. That's why I think I dive into the mental health world because it's like, okay, you can have deeper conversations and they're not frowned upon or most people aren't afraid of them. And, you know, I can say something like, well, bipolar disorder at a table full of mental health professionals and no one thinks anything. Mm -hmm. But you say that at a nail salon and people look at you kind of funny. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. I think after you spend so much time in your own healing process, too, it's hard to um, 
it's just like any profession that you're in for a long time, like it becomes the norm for you. And, and those of us, I think, who have spent a lot of time in the healing process and learning to heal, it's hard for us to understand how other people uh, wouldn't take advantage of the opportunity or don't <laughs> understand it. <laughs> Why would you not want to do this? Exactly. I, I've even had people be kind of in competition with me. Like I just got something that was a big deal for me and they don't have any idea what my journey how much of a journey it was to get there and it's something that came to them easily and then they start kind of competing with me over it and I'm like listen I am not invested in that at all I'm no one to be in competition with you have no idea how long it took me to get here I'm not interested in this being in competition this is so valuable to me that I'm not going to waste my time being in competition with you about it so take that energy and go elsewhere <laughs> Yeah. yeah, I've been kind of working on this uh, very issue myself quite a, quite a lot lately and trying to uh, engage in more relationships uh, outside of the therapeutic relationships that I have yeah. developed. And uh, because that's really kind of the next step for me. But, um, you know, I'm realizing more and more that, like, you know, a lot of people haven't done their own work and it really yes. causes a confrontations to come up that I don't have an interest in engaging in either. And sometimes they're just very, very simple uh, things. But, you know, so I have that piece, but I'm also very intuitive. So it makes it complicated to have relationships uh, for people who, you know, aren't doing their own work and aren't willing to kind of take a look at themselves. And um, I'm, I'm willing to do it equal, but like, you know, when they're throwing stuff back at you that really isn't yours to own. I've done yes. a lot of years of work on not owning every single piece because that was my issue. I didn't put any responsibility on anybody else, and it was entirely my fault that this even yeah. happened to me. And so now I'm trying to, like, um, you know, develop these relationships, but what I'm finding is that it's really hard because most people that I'm I'm encountering anyways are more than willing to put lots of blame on me. And I'm like, whoa, is this me? Mine to own or is this yours? <laughs> yeah. Oh, my gosh. I so get that. So many people listening are going to be like, yep, that's what we talk about all the time. Yeah, it's very people are very willing to let you carry their stuff for them. And when you are someone who has been like a freaking donkey your whole life with 80 bags of stuff that isn't even yours, including your stuff, you, when you do get to this place where you're just a bit more empowered on the path and you notice what someone's trying to add to what's on your back, you're yeah. like, I don't, wow, this is what anger and resentment feels like. Got it. Ooh, this is really uncomfortable, but I don't want, I don't want you to put that on my back. Like you're not allowed. And how do you do that in a safe way? You know, because confrontation was so uncomfortable with what you grew up with. Right. The other thing's been setting boundaries with people. I, so I finally learned how to set healthy boundaries. I sure wish I would have learned that when my, my daughters were younger, it would have been more helpful, but <laughs> I would like learn that later in life. And like when you start, you know, setting boundaries with um, people who have known you for a long time and you didn't really have those good healthy boundaries for yourself, right. and you do, even if the most gentle and kind way that you can possibly put them there, people really push back and suddenly you're like not the same person. They don't want to be around you. Like, you know, how dare you have needs too in this relationship? 
And so it's, you know, it's an adjustment of people like learning, even in my work environment, you know, like for me to say, no, this is really what I need or this is what I can really do. Um, it has, you know, it's, it's caused some conflicts here and there. I know, I know, no one likes commercials, but seriously, folks, without the help from these organizations, we could not stay on the air. Please give a shout out to zencharts.com. If you're a mental health or addiction treatment center, you'll want to use their EHR. It's gorgeous, and they're just good people. And also MyGenetics, M-Y-G-E-N-E-T-X.com, because knowing your genetic code empowers your mental health treatment. And lastly, CopeNotes.com. We love getting positive messages right to our phones every day from Johnny Crowder. He's the lead singer of Prison, a heavy metal band sharing their music about suicide prevention, addiction recovery, and mental health. See, that was painless. Support them as they support us. Back to the show. Yeah, it's it's really interesting because that's the human experience. There are conflicts and that's how you resolve them. You discuss it and hopefully, you know, in kind and rational ways. But when you did not grow up with things handled in healthy ways, and things were so full of conflict that your very survival depended on it. You are so conflict averse. I actually had a therapist say that to me. She said, wow, for someone that, you know, does all that you do, you are so averse to conflict. And I, and I, and, and yet you dive into doing specific kinds of uh, volunteer work that is full of um chaos, you know, or can be extremely dangerous mm -hmm. to, to you physically and psychologically, but you thrive in that. So it's really interesting, you know, how we do that. But it's, I think when you grow up with that and you're triggered constantly and nothing is safe, um, anything that even smells a little bit like conflict, it's the, it, the capacity for your brain to take it to a place that it doesn't need to go is way further than someone else who's kind of, well, that wasn't that big of a deal and they can just walk it off. Mm -hmm. Right, right. Try and practice this thing called rip and repair, which is, you know, like when there there is a conflict. I mean, I've, you know, I've, I've kind of been all over the place, like either trying to just really not have a rip happen at all, so be overly... Uh, a pleaser, uh, like yeah, yeah. people pleaser, to like then having a boundary, but then, you know, because I didn't want to have conflict, but then, and, you know, if I did have conflict, my tendency was just to put up a wall and be like, I, I'm, I'm done. Like, I just don't, I'm going to avoid this at all costs. Right. So now I'm practicing trying to, wait, yeah, like I said, like that rip and repair where like a rip happens, like there's a, you know, something happens where there's a, you know, it can be, for me, it can be very small and it still feels big, but, it, you know, it's just, it doesn't have to be a huge outburst or anything, but just uh, a disagreement that I feel, it can even mm -hmm. almost feel threatening. So learning how to, like, have a conversation with somebody else and just see if we can repair that relationship back and forth. And I've been fortunate that I have a therapist that I can work back and forth like that. It, because, you know, conflicts come up in therapy, too. There's misunderstandings. There's, right. um, you know... Uh, hurt feelings or you think you hear something a certain way and that's not, you know, not what was meant to be said. I mean, it's just because it is a relationship uh, yeah, that's, as well. That's interesting. Yes, it is. And um, 
this wonderful therapist that I have now said, well, you know, you are going to get at some point, you're going to get upset with me about something. And I was like, I don't ever see that happening. It's like, <laughs> trust me, it will. I think if we're really doing the work, it does, because like there's going to be buttons pushed that we don't even know are our buttons. <laughs> you know, like we don't even know that's going to bring up something inside of us or, you know, for me, it can be as simple as like her um, going out of town. Um, even if I know about it, I mean, we've gotten much better. She like, you know, over the years, I worked with her for seven years now. Uh, uh, she, you know, she will tell me far in advance, um, when she's going out and things like that. And so I can mentally prepare for it, but I, you know, uh, it felt like a, it brought up abandonment, abandonment. Stuff for me. And I didn't really know that word yeah. and I didn't even know why I was having such a strong reaction to it. And it's not like she was doing anything wrong, but I was hurt because it felt like she was leaving me. Right. <laughs> and so, um, you know, things come up in relationships all the time. That I mean, that was a rip and repair situation because she didn't understand my reaction. And I didn't understand why she was leaving me, <laughs> like you know. So, <laughs> which she really wasn't, but um, but that's how you know parts of myself at least felt that way. And um, yeah, that oh yeah. man, the human psyche. Oh God. Okay, so when you're at um, your regular job and um, mm -hmm. you run into a, a situation where there's potential conflict or you can see ahead of time that there's you're going to need to put up a boundary, do you realize that ahead of time and it's like you're looking at what's going to happen in front of you or does it sort of register later, oh, I need to put a boundary around that? You know, some of both. I think I'm getting better at recognizing it in advance. It used to be like much later, sometimes even days later. I would think, oh, right. <laughs> you know, I just, that just like walked all over me <laughs> before I realized it. I'm getting much more like uh, in the moment where I can realize that, but I would still say I'm a, a beat or two behind where I want to be. Um, you know, it, it's hard really to be in the moment still for me. I've, you know, um, I'm much more present than I used to be and able to stay focused and those kinds of things, which helps a lot um, in yeah. being able to set those boundaries. When, when you're not, you have other parts of yourself who are like, you know, um, giving input or handling things for you. It makes it even more difficult because, you know, the parts of myself, and the way it works for me was that most of them were kind of frozen in time back in trauma right. related stuff. And uh, so they would take over and they were just about safety and survival and those kinds of things. So they didn't realize it was going to be safe to set a boundary. But, um, you know, in the last year, two years for me, it's I still, like I said, is a little slow to the to the call sometimes, but I get there. <laughs> And then I'm really like, so, but that's, I think, confusing to people as well sometimes because they're like, okay, well, that happened like a couple of days ago. Like, why are we talking about it now? <laughs> right. And I'm like, because I need to, <laughs> because, you know, I realized that this wasn't okay with me. <laughs> yeah. And, and sometimes you, that's okay, but. Yeah. You find yourself, I find myself around a lot of really gracious people and that's also a reflection of where I'm at. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I, I remember, I, I, I think I'm, I think I see the boundaries now coming ahead of me and I can prepare for them. 
where before I, I did the thing where, you know, a few days later and then I'm writing an email or I'm doing whatever to walk that back. And the person's like, you're bananas. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, well, sorry. If I didn't care about this relationship, I wouldn't even bring it up. But, um, but yeah, it's, it's all really fascinating. It's also too, when you're someone that spends so much time examining self, some things really don't bother you because you've talked them out and not everybody does that. Not everybody goes to counseling. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's hard to, it's hard to believe when we've done so much of that, but <laughs> yes, yes. I actually had someone I was interviewing and lovely person I'm sure. And, um, I, in the midst of doing the interview, I said, have you ever been to counseling yourself? No, I don't really believe in dredging up all that stuff from the past. Have you ever been to school for counseling? No. And I was like, okay, this is the wrong show for you. (laughs) We have nothing tangible to talk about. So better, better (laughs) show for you elsewhere. (laughs) How about when I you're don't out? know what all the requirements are, but I'm sure I feel, fit that one. Yes. <laughs> I've done my fair share. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, how about when you're out and you're doing your speaking and you're speaking in front of counselors and they're trying to understand, you know, where you're coming from? How has that community been for you? Uh, you know, I've, I've experienced like lots of different things. And I, what I find is that in the therapeutic community or people who are in the helping profession, a lot of them still have a lot of unresolved uh, work themselves. And um, so I was really surprised. I find it difficult sometimes to get in to speak at um, particular venues because there is a, I think, a perception that like, you know, we're not sure how much we can learn from somebody who uh, is basically in therapy herself. so I kind of bumped up against that a little bit. But then what I also bump up in is whenever I do get that opportunity and I speak with them, there's a line like afterwards yeah. of people trying to better understand it. But they're not necessarily coming to me to better understand it for their clients. I'm sure that they will apply it, but they're really trying to, they'll tell me all the stories about themselves yeah. and how this happened and how they can relate to this part of what I was saying. And, um, just like what I've done in our interview. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I think like it hasn't, uh, you know, and I, it's still kind of like a, a wow for me, like uh, to, um, it's, you know, it's a little, it can be very draining to go out and speak and share my own yeah. personal story. And, um, so yeah, afterwards I kind of have a you know a speaker hangover (laughs) for a little bit because you know I still have all those old messages I shouldn't be talking about it and you know did I do was I good enough when I shared but I have had lots of feedback to say that you know people are learning from what I have to share and people um, are getting something out of it so for me I know it's making a difference and uh in whatever in whatever way it's supposed to in that moment, you know, I guess it's probably the best way to say it. And so I think, you know, it's it's a big thing for practitioners to continue to do their own healing work. And so if if that's what they need to kind of um, say, wow, like, you know, this person mentioned something that I related to that I realized that I haven't really worked on or 
I think for a lot of people, I talk a lot about dissociation and I use puzzle pieces actually to, I do examples um, like uh, how it feels like to be dissociative. And I think that people haven't realized like they have parts of themselves and like how they have this, like they never understood it. Right. And um, they can relate to it and they're like, so it doesn't have to be necessarily DID to have parts of ourselves, but they realize like the conflicts that they have within themselves and how it can be very, very confusing. And I, I do that through using, uh, you know, different ways of representing like, you know, the simple PTSD, complex PTSD, DID, and just showing how that kind of plays out for different Interesting. individuals. Interesting. Yeah, I can see why there would be a line because there's so many things to relate to. It's just that you, I guess how I look at it is this, and maybe this is uh, bias on my part, I don't know, but I started so young speaking out about things that you should not quote unquote talk about because at the time that I was talking about it, they weren't, it wasn't okay to talk about incest or, you know, anything like that. So, and I did. <laughs> anyway and i just like forced my way into people paying attention and taking me seriously so um when you had mentioned that you know in some ways you aren't maybe because you're not a counselor i think oh my gosh that's still out there you know in some places i i don't experience that anymore and uh, probably i'm blind to it it probably does happen to me but i'm so <laughs> like listen i lived this um, you can go to school a hundred years and if you haven't been sexually abused, you are missing something. You, mm -hmm. there's something that you can learn from me because I experienced mm -hmm. it. So, um, I just don't even, I just don't even pay attention. If, if someone treated me like that, I'd be like, whatever. But <laughs> early, earlier years, I probably would have been crushed. But now I'm like, oh, please, I have walked this road a long time. <laughs> I have stuff to say. So, but, um, okay. Yeah. So that'll get that. I'm what I'm saying is it'll get better for you. That's probably some of your stuff mixed up in there too. Cause I know it was for me. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure it definitely is my own confidence level and going out there and, and feeling like I have something important that people can learn from and uh, it's worth their, their while to hear me. <laughs> That's why I, I finally was like, I don't care anymore about getting a counseling degree. That's not even that I know that I don't need to do that. I love people who do. I don't want to do that because the only reason that I felt like I needed to was to prove that I had some worth and something to say. Mm-hmm. And yeah. then I thought, well, wait a minute. Okay, so let's use that logic. So you get the counseling degree, but then it'll be, oh, but you only got your bachelor's. Oh, but you only got your master's. Oh, but you got your PhD, but it wasn't at the right school. Like, where does this end? This doesn't have anything right. to do with the degree. It has to do with you. And that's when I was like, okay, you don't need to go in that direction. You just figured out what the problem is. Pretty sure I have uh, multiple doctorates with, you know, life. <laughs> exactly. Not that I'm not so thankful for the counseling. Right. Oh, God. 
Well, let's take it back to um, as we close, you know, where today when you talk about horses and how horses help, something that Melanie, our program director, and I find difficult, and I'm new on the horse journey, every, everyone knows that, is that it's really hard to explain it. It's something that people have to experience and then they get it. Yes, and that makes it hard. <laughs> yeah, so how do you, because I can't even imagine, I, I don't even try to explain it um, because I'm like, you just need to come out. Just come out and have an experience and then you'll be like, wow, whoa, what just happened? But it's so difficult. I don't even know if it's yeah. possible to really get people to understand what it actually means. No, and it's really hard because there's that saying, you know, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make the horse drink. <laughs> and I think that the same kind of thing is like with with humans is this, the most difficult piece is to get them there to have the experience. But I, I think it goes just back to the uh, basic understanding of, of a horse being, you know, a predator and a herd animal. So, you know, the, the predator part is just so important because they're so intuitive and so energetic and much more so than we humans can be. <laughs> and um, I think that, you know, that is really kind of what is key to how they can pick up on things and teach us. And I think, you know, their mere size is like whenever you realize that you can work with a, an, uh, an animal being of that size right. and to be able to use your you know voice or you use your own body language and just by how you position your body, you can ask a horse to do something it is so empowering. Yes. Um, you can build such trust and uh, they have this, you know, they aren't looking at us from a standpoint of how society looks at us. They look at us like um, we're authentically like how we are in that moment. So it, it doesn't matter about our clothes or, you know, our appearance and all these kinds of things to them. It matters how we feel to them. Right. And that's what we're all striving for in relationships, whether it be work or personal or with our children, any types of relationships that we desire to be in. Um, but if we don't learn how to do that and we are used to being how the outside world wants us to see see us, but it's still causing problems, the horse like really has this ability to be able to pick up on the fact that, you know, you're not being congruent in this moment with me. Hmm. And and we can't even see it ourselves sometimes, which is, you know, uh, there's lots of times whenever I think that I'm calm inside but my horse will tell me that I'm not, you know, right. and I'll realize that I have to take some deep breaths and like I yeah. have to rethink because she's like, ah, something's wrong. Something's wrong. You're telling me something's wrong because she's acting completely different just because I walked into the paddock. Right. And uh, it gives me an outside visual of how I can kind of um, that I need to do a couple of my, you know, self-care kind of techniques and, and check myself a little bit. And even if I'm still anxious, just being like, oh, I'm really anxious, but looking around and saying, well, there's really nothing to be anxious about. Um, you know, that's just a tree and, you know, that's just somebody walking by. And, <laughs> and right. as I do that, my horse starts connecting with me. And so, you know, it is hard to explain because it's kind of woo-woo. Like, it's like, <laughs> There isn't like something that we could just say, uh, this is exactly what the horse does for us. And it takes building a little bit of trust, I think, with somebody uh, to get them to come out and have that experience. 
Right. And so I'm excited that there's more and more research being done so that, um, you know, that people can, I think, you know, we're, we're creatures of like wanting scientific evidence or evidence-based right. uh, information to say whether or not this is valid. I mean, lucky for me, I was just open to anything because I needed help, <laughs> Right. but not everybody's in that place. And so I think, you know, the more research that can be done, there's like more individuals I think will start um, uh, trusting in the process of that. And, you know, it really helps that with the, the, the veterans now participating in a lot of the equine therapy, yeah. there's, uh, it seems to um, gain validity because that's an acceptable level of treatment for those individuals. And so um, I think, so you know, that, that helps. Society. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's true. There's an organization near me called Checkpoint One that uh, just amazing. It's never what I think it's going to be. Um, I go in there with my human idea of what's going to uh, take place. And then I leave with the horse's idea, which is really what's going on inside me and what I needed. <laughs> right. Which is pretty amazing. And I think, too, for people that you've had other people, like we talked about a little bit earlier, you've had a lot of people put their stuff on you to carry. Um, mm -hmm. When you work with a horse, they're a carrier also. They're a burden carrier animal. They have people ride on their back. You know, they are used for labor. And so to me, when you're talking about, you know, that physical representation of what's going on with you I think of them and when I'm with them or with my horse I think she totally understands what it means to be a big carrier of of other things other than herself in a physical way and mm -hmm. I get it in an, an emotional um, in an emotional way so she's um she's kind of showing me what that looks like in that physical way that makes it real for me. Does that make sense? I do. Yeah, I do understand. Yeah. And they I also thought about it that way before, but that is a, that's a good, good yeah. visual for me to hang on to too. Yeah. That and the other one I thought of was um, when you have had a lot of people put their emotional stuff on you, um, when you go out with a horse, they, they're asking me to breathe. Mm-hmm. And I hold my breath all the time. And it's such a simple, natural thing to breathe. It's the hardest thing possible to do when we need to. Yeah. So if she's not doing something uh, and I go, and it's the only action in my life where I consciously remember, oh, I need to breathe. Mm-hmm. Unless I hear on TV, breathe, or somebody says breathe, but I, but just not, no words, and I realize you need to breathe right now. So those are little gifts that make a big difference in someone's life that you don't know until you're out there. Right, <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, what, um, what do you have coming up for you in terms of speaking engagements? Uh, so I'm scheduled to do a couple presentations with uh, practitioners in Texas and then looking at university-type environments to go out and um, you, uh, partnering, uh, hopefully with a university in Michigan, uh, to go out and talk with them and uh, possibly a couple opportunities in Canada as well. 
Well, good for you. Fantastic. I want to make sure all of our listeners know that, and a lot of you are counselors yourselves, and you should definitely have Maddie come out. Her website is M-A-D-D-I-E-C-A-B-A-L-L-O.com. There's some incredible pictures on there and also um, some YouTube videos that where you've talked about, um, you know, the ritualistic abuse and so on that you went through and how working with horses has really helped you. So I encourage everyone to check it out. And Maddie, thank you for coming back on again. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. And thanks to our listeners for tuning in to another edition of Mental Health News Radio. I'm passive aggressive, but never without good intentions. I heat up and act on my emotions. Thanks so much for listening to Mental Health News Radio. Our podcast can be found on iTunes, Stitcher, and hundreds of other podcast apps. Or you can visit our website at mentalhealthnewsradio.com. If you have a question or would like to be a guest, become a podcaster on our network, or join the amazing organizations that help keep us on the air, please email us at info at mhnrnetwork.com. Get ready for that special goodbye from our resident therapy dog, Miles, and a special thanks to Emily Sohn for letting us use her incredible song, Cordial, for our podcast music. Listen to the full song on SoundCloud at emily.sonne. Don't be surprised when I don't hate on you. After all we promised, we'd be cordial. Sometimes in you I can fight it. Good boy.